I'm glad to be here this morning, glad to have the privilege of preaching. <clears throat> and uh, before we get started, just to set a little bit of an imagery in your mind, um, you've been, I'm sure some of you, if not all of you, have been to the eye doctor. And when you go into the eye doctor, you sit in that chair, and then they pull these things down in front of your face, and they click down this one lens and say, does that make it look better? And then they click down, does that better or worse? Better or worse? And they keep doing that multiple times. I think moms have a myriad of lenses that they can flip down to cover up our frailties and our weaknesses and our naughtinesses. And so to all of you moms, I appreciate your filters. But this morning I want us to consider, as I relay a few types of stories, how some of those filters can be damaging as well. And ask us to put on the filter that Jesus would have us. So imagine you're about 10 years old. You've just laid down to sleep in the last half hour. And you're almost completely rested mentally and ready to fall into dreamland when... Suddenly, your mom shrieks out in a blood-curdling scream from the next couple of rooms. You waken and run into the living room to see her hysterically yelling at your dad to come. And watch on the late-night news as a man is being rolled into an ambulance while the newscaster describes the horrible shooting and death of a man you just saw on the gurney. Then they speak his name and you realize that's your grandfather. Since that day in 1981, it's been challenging, to say the least, for me to observe certain things without a very speculative lens. In particular, certain kinds of people lingering around a gas station late at night. My personal experience darkens the lens that I view the circumstances and those people nearby in that setting. Another visual filter that I at times am challenged with is due to the images etched in my memory from 20 years later on September 11th. I'm sure many of you can still picture the second plane crashing into the Twin Towers and exploding live on television. Shortly after, both towers crumbled in ashes and debris while hundreds of people ran for their lives. As information was slowly brought forth, we learned that there was a specific group of people that were responsible. And since then, thousands of soldiers have been deployed to squelch the plans of that group. Knowing that there is a group of people that, to some degree at least, are able to be profiled, when I see people that appear to fit that profile, a mental flag is raised in my mind's eye sometimes. And I struggle to see clearly without a filter. Another perspective that can be troublesome for me some of you might recall several months back where I spoke frequently on subjects related to politics and the chosen form of governmental budgeting. Because of those opinions, I really have to keep my thoughts in check. Let me explain what I mean by that. We've had a young man stop by our house on several occasions asking for money for food. We've given him food, and once we've offered him food, uh, at a later date, because we were leaving our parking lot and uh, our driveway is like a parking lot with all of my kids. We were leaving and said, you know, come back at a later time. And I told him a specific time. He didn't come later, but the offer was there. Since then, he stopped me three other times just in the last week asking for money for food. Now, my political mindset wants to encourage him to go visit a restaurant where I know they're hiring right now or to have him visit an agency for help. 
My personal thoughts cloud my view of him as a person because of my preconceived conclusions. You might think, what does any of that have to do with what Shane has been talking about this month with bold faith focusing on neighbors and loving our neighbors? Well, all of this has struck painstakingly close to me in particular because of the focus on neighbors. You see, on one side of my house, we have neighbors that might really fit a portion of the profile I described. The young man I described literally has stopped me three times in the last week at various places in my neighborhood a block from my house. And I have unknowingly found often, too often, myself having to let my fears go in the evening hours as I fill my gas tank. All within my neighborhood. Our text today forces us to take a look at some people in our neighborhood and answer a question that Jesus asks. Do you see this one? Let's take a look at the text and see if we can find ourselves in it. In Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and started standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two letters. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled a larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. He said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So let's dissect this passage a little bit. There are three key people involved. Jesus, who has been growing immensely in popularity. Many people are being healed. He's casting out demons. The dead have been raised to life. And he's been teaching with power. Then you've got Simon the Pharisee. Just by the title itself, he's a man of influence in the Jewish community. And someone that is at least made curious by Jesus and has invited him to dinner. Then you have the woman of the city, a sinner. There's a few descriptions which seem to shed negative light on her. First, she's called a woman of the city. She's not a woman of this household or of this family. A woman of the city. Oh, and by the way, a sinner. 
You know, just not like any other sinner of the human race, which we all fall into, this is a sinner of a profession known to be against the law. Then it lists something else curious, talking about her hair being let down and her wiping the feet of the master's feet with her hair. Customs of the time would seem to indicate by many scholars that that would indicate her as being a prostitute. As all of these three people, these three people lives are joined together, they intertwine and tell a story. Let's look at parts of the story. You've got a dinner party. When we think of a dinner party, we think of inviting a few friends over and we have a long table about my, about my size, table at my house with nine plus people at it, kind of long. You think about that and it's all in one room. That's not the setting here. At this setting, you've got multiple tables more than likely set out with at least three, if not seven to nine couches laid out and none of you women are allowed. No children are allowed. It's just the men. But in that setting, it's typically in like a garden out in the outer courtyard of the family's residence. And people coming by can see what's going on, and to a degree it draws attention to itself, and apparently it's drawn the attention of this lady. But Jesus has been brought, and he's been brought a little bit under scrutiny. See, verses just prior to this, the crowd was reminded as he was asked about by some folks of followers of John the Baptist and people listening on, he reminds them what had been said about him in light of John. John had been known as someone that wouldn't drink and wouldn't fellowship, and they called Jesus, they described him as a glutton and a drunkard because he did, a friend of tax collectors and city sinners. In Luke 5, 31 to 32, just a couple chapters before, Jesus had been invited by Levi to follow him. I'm sorry, Jesus invited Levi to follow him. And the Pharisees, because he does this, they begin to question why Jesus ate with tax collectors. But Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, Jesus looked with a different lens at the tax collectors and the sinners. Jesus has looked at you with a different lens. The Pharisees and others are still investigating Jesus and in the methods. They want to understand who is this man? Who is this teacher? Why is he fellowshipping with these people? Another interesting thing about this dinner is it was a common courtesy to have your guests' feet washed due to the dust from traveling a lot. Most of you, I'm assuming this morning, probably have shoes on except for David. He's got sandals. David might be a little bit dirty from his travels here today, but most of us have shoes and socks on. And most of us don't live on dirt roads. Most of us don't have to walk to church. But they did, and because of their travels, they often were very dirty and dusty, and it was a polite thing to offer to have their feet washed when they came in. But for some reason... This was not the case. Apparently it hadn't been done in this text, or at least not specifically to Jesus. This woman came in. She's another particular part of the story, but it's not just the fact that she's there. It's the fact that when she came in, she's moved with emotion. And because of her emotion, her tears start falling, and she doesn't want to come up to Jesus. She's down by his feet, and her tears begin to fall on his feet and wash his feet. 
to take care of the common courtesy that was supposed to have been taken already. But because of the customs, she probably was not supposed to even be in the room. But because it was probably in the courtyard and she could see in and she had heard that Jesus was there, she wanted to see Jesus. And she, so she walks in, avoiding the customs, avoiding the fact of who she was. And you know, this man Simon and almost everyone else in that courtyard probably knew who she was. She was their neighbor. We're not told why she was crying, but it could probably easily be speculated that it was because of her natural response of being overwhelmed by her position and the powerful acceptance of Jesus, of her anyway. She wiped his feet clean with her hair. That was a scandalous thing to do in, in that setting. She anointed his feet with ointment. Perhaps another clear indication of her profession most women at that time did not walk around with perfumes and ointments uh, lavishing their bodies. And Simon thinks to himself, why in the world would he allow this if he were truly a prophet? And Jesus answers out loud with a brief story. Can you imagine thinking something and then Shane, um, you know, let me tell you something. Let me answer something to you. And he's reading your thoughts and you know it. Simon has his thoughts answered by Jesus. And the point of this story is that he doesn't just answer it. He answers out loud with a story and asks him a simple yet penetrating question. Simon couldn't believe that Jesus would allow a sinner to touch him, much less in such a way as this woman was doing in, in contrast to the, the practices of the day. A Pharisee was very good at distancing himself from various people such as this and the practices that would make them unclean. Sinners. Ailing people. Someone with leprosy or other ailments. The Gentiles. They wouldn't come close to them. They wouldn't associate them. They definitely wouldn't invite them over to dinner. And the list could go on. They were very astute at protecting their, rep their reputation so that they could serve. And in their minds, I'm sure, the lens and the filters that they put up for protection allowed them to do that so that they could continue serving the Lord. But through the story Jesus tells, he leads them to an obvious answer that is obvious by its implications to Simon and uncomfortable but unavoidable. Look at the text again. In the text, it says a certain money lender had two debtors and one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them would love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. Why would he say, I suppose? Perhaps because he's still skeptical, because he's still questioning the Lord and how he could possibly do this. And Jesus acknowledges his assessment is correct, but then he turns to Simon's attention to the woman. He says, do you see this woman? See, up until that time, all he had seen was a sinner. And Jesus focuses the terminology, words are important. And the words you use direct to certain attention. And he says, do you see this woman? <clears throat> was it because Jesus thought Simon had not somehow missed her presence? No. But perhaps Simon had not seen the human. 
but instead only saw through the lens of the protective barriers he had built around himself. Jesus points to the human practices that this woman had done for him that he had not done as a host. The simple courtesy of washing his feet and anointing them, of giving him a cheek and greeting, a kiss on the cheek. See, the Pharisees were amazed at the fact that Jesus ate with despicable people according to their protective barriers, encapsulated in their ritualistic law. As Nathan Mitchell states, it wasn't simply that Jesus ate with objectionable persons, outcasts and sinners, but that he ate with anyone indiscriminately. Jesus was eating with Simon. Jesus had eaten with Levi. Jesus will invite himself over to take and dine with Nicodemus. He wasn't opposed to the ritual, the religious crowd. He wasn't opposed to anyone. But what was so shocking was that he was just anyone, indiscriminately. Jesus invites Simon to see this woman as a human being, not as a sinner. He gently yet very intentionally suggests to Simon see himself as loving little because he's not seen how much he has been forgiven. Jesus was simply ready to give of himself for any that were willing to come as they were, not as they thought they had to be. He enjoyed meeting people in their honest realization of who they were to show them who he would make them into. He said to this woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. If we want to fulfill the great commandment of loving God and loving our neighbor, we must let go of our protective barriers and look through a different lens than the shaded spectacles we've been peering through. We must have a different perspective. To love your neighbor. Part of the commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. How many allowances do we allow ourselves when we look at ourselves? Do we judge honestly like we do against other people? Our perspective must first take an honest look at ourselves. In 1 Corinthians 6.11 it says, And such were some of you. What was that some of you? It was people that were sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, thieves, greedy, drunkards, swindlers, just to name a few. And he says, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You know, this woman reminds me of another that Jesus met at the well. A woman that came to the well, avoiding people if possible. She came at the hottest part of the day to avoid being seen and be, to be alone. Yet after being seen and accepted for who she was, she ran in abandonment to bring others to Jesus. As the disciples looked at the scene, they saw a crowd and Jesus' apparent disinterest in the things that they were worried about, food. So often I've listened to this account of the woman at the well and seen myself as one of the disciples. But what would it look like if I realized my sin put me in the same sandals as the woman, living in the grip of sin that I don't know how to escape and just keep trying to survive and hope that one day God will see me and meet me. Jesus encourages disciples to get their minds off of food and to see the harvest of the souls. Whether it's this woman at the well, Levi the tax collector, or this woman in today's text, Jesus came in contact with them. He allowed himself to be touched by them, at times literally, 
touched by them. And they were forever changed. He rubbed shoulders with people in our, in our day that would be called embezzlers, human traffickers, child molesters. The Roman centurions that today might represent ISIS or other religious extremists. Lepers and beggars. Do you allow your life to actually be touched by humans in misery and sin and shame and grief? When's the last time the people you were in association with made religious people uncomfortable? You see, we need to ask Jesus to open our eyes to this profiled person that I mentioned that lives next door to me. I need to see the one lingering in the dark at the gas station. And I need to see the young man that has come and I literally am going to be challenged. I know. More than likely, in the next five days, he will come up to me again and ask me for money for food. I need to see his humanity. I need to see the one lurking in the dark, perhaps there for a reason, because they're like the woman at the well, trying to avoid, not because they're up to something evil. I need to see their humanity. We need to pray this prayer that I heard in a song recently called, For the One. Let me be filled with kindness and compassion for the one. The one for whom you loved and gave your son. For humanity, increase my love. Help me to love with open arms like you do. A love that erases all the lines and sees the truth. Oh, that when they look in my eyes, they would see you. They would feel the Father's love. Jesus asked Simon, Do you see this woman? And he told the disciples at the well, Look up, lift your eyes, and see. See this woman and all of these townspeople, because they are the fields that are white for harvest. And I ask us this morning, What one neighbor do you need to see? He asked her, do you see this woman? And he's asking us today, do you see? And you can probably put your mind's eye on at least one person in your neighborhood. Do we see them through Jesus' lens or through the multiple lens that we have layered in our lives because of things that have happened to us? Let's close our eyes and pray. Father, we come to you. And I beg you, Lord, to help me see. Help us see, Lord, those that are wandering, those that are hiding, those at times that are even aggressive in their lives. Help us, Lord, to see their men, their humanity not through our filters. Help us, Lord, to look through your eyes for a change. In Jesus' name.